Hello, this is Pod Academy. Money. We all know what it is, but who creates money? The answer is actually surprising. 97% of money in our economy is created by private banks when they make loans, and is carried out by these banks simply typing numbers into computers. In doing so, private banks invariably divert this newly created money into house price bubbles and other forms of financial speculation. So, in response to this, a campaigning organisation named Positive Money has sought to raise public awareness about such money supply issues, highlighting, in a recent book named Modernising Money, how house price inflation, high levels of personal debt and widening inequality can all be linked to who has the power to create money. I went to speak with Positive Money's founder, Ben Dyson, in their London office. I started by asking about the aims and objectives of the organisation. Well, we're trying to get a, a banking system that works for society and not against it. And we've seen, you know, seen all of the chaos that the, the financial system has caused over the last few years. And since then, there hasn't really been fundamental change. There's been a lot of uh, tweaking around the edges, but we've not actually addressed the, the root cause of the financial crisis and also the root cause of many of the, the big social and economic problems that we're facing today. And so Positive Money, therefore, is looking to bring forth quite radical change to this rather than kind of tinkering around the edges of monetary reform. Yeah, yeah, we're trying to... We've got some ideas about fundamental things that need to change, which, you know, some people say they're radical. Um, in reality, they have been done in the past. But it's, it's a big step further than what the authorities have made with regards to fixing the banking system in response to the crisis. Okay, so could you just outline for us very quickly what those kind of big changes you want to see are? Well, at the moment, uh, it's really about the power to create money and who has this power and how they use it. And if you ask people in the street, most people are under the impression that money can only be created by the government because that's what you see on every you know, 10 or £20 pound note. The reality is that the government only actually creates 3% of all the money that exists. The other 97% of money is just numbers in a computer system. It's um, those, those numbers that you see when you check your bank balance. Uh, they don't represent any real money. They're actually just uh, an electronic entry in a computer. And what that means is that these numbers are created by banks when they make loans. So when you walk into a bank and take out a mortgage, that money isn't coming from somebody's life savings. It's actually created out of nothing. This has implications from almost everything, from debt to poverty to inequality to how much your house costs, um, whether there's a financial crisis, whether the economy is growing or shrinking. And what we're advocating is that we shouldn't be leaving the power to create money in the hands of the same banks that cause the financial crisis. And we should remove that power from those banks and return it to uh, a democratic, transparent, accountable body that works in the public interest rather than in the short-term interests of the, the financial sector. So that led me to ask Ben why, in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis, these issues surrounding the control of money supply have not featured more prominently in the news. And I also asked whether these debates about money supply have been seen before. I mean, it's a good question. It's because there used to be huge debates about this, you know, 100 years ago, particularly around the time of the Great Depression as well. Um, and this discussion of money creation was you know, really high-profile economists were debating this. In the US, when the New Deal 
was implemented after the Great Depression to try and get the U.S. economy going again. One of the well, the the only other alternative that was really being considered was the proposal that we have, which is to remove the power to create money from the banks and return it to uh, this this body working in the public interest. So, so there has been this huge debate, and it, for the last maybe forty or fifty years, it's completely died out. And there's a few reasons for that. Firstly, the the thing about money creation not being taught correctly in universities. So people had sort of a flawed understanding of how it worked, and they assumed that basically the whole thing was under control. Um, now, the financial crisis has shown that that's not the case. Then there's also, like, there's been a belief within e- economics that, that that basically that bankers are the best people to decide whether to, to make a loan and whether to create money or not. Now, we've explained in the book why, why this is... I mean, fine, let banks do the business of lending, but when they're also creating money in the process that has uh, huge knock-on effects on the rest of the economy. And banks aren't even thinking about that. They're not considering these effects at all. So basically, economists have believed that this was the best way to do things, and the financial crisis has shown that it isn't. Um, Because of that, there's now a lot more questioning of how the system works. So, you know, as I said, the, um, the guy who used to be responsible for the Financial Services Authority... Uh, the former chairman, Adair Turner, has been giving speeches where he's been talking about some of these issues. And then just about a month ago, Martin Wolf, who is the chief econ- chief economics commentator for the Financial Times, uh, wrote an article. Uh, the, the title was basically Strip Banks of, power, of Their Power to Create Money. Um, and he, he talked about the book and said, you know, this is the kind of thing that we need to be doing uh, before the next financial crisis comes. So, yeah, so suddenly there is starting to be much more public debate about this, but it's still it's still seen as quite radical, even though actually something like this has been done in, in 1844 in the UK. Um, a conservative government removed, uh, at that time, banks had the power to actually print paper money, and over time they started to, to print too much of it, because for the same reason, the more paper money they printed to lend out, the, the more profit they would make. But eventually this caused a financial crisis. So in 1844, the government passed the law that now makes it illegal for you to print your own paper money. But that law has never been updated to take account of the electronic money. And uh, this electronic money created by the banks now makes up 97% of the money in the economy. Okay, that's that's really fascinating. But the thing that strikes me immediately is how did you come up with this idea to to form an organisation that was really campaigning on these issues? Well, I, um, I was studying economics at university. And uh, to be honest, finding it not particularly well uh, applicable to the real world, um, it was very abstract. It uh, ignored a lot of things that you know common sense would tell you. And um, one day, I was looking through the library for a book that was on the reading list, something that was, uh, was so boring I can't even remember the title. But I came across this other book, which was called *The Grip of Death*, and. That the, the title of that book is a play on the, the name, uh, on the word mortgage. So if you think about the French, you've got um, sort of engage uh, and then more from death. Um, and what it was, it was a play on the fact that mortgages never used to be a common thing. They were actually a contract that you entered into if you messed up financially um, and you needed to take a loan. And the counterpart to that loan was that if you couldn't pay the loan, your house would be taken. So you give up ownership of your house. So, um, so that mortgage was kind of like an emergency measure for people. And the book was all about how we'd gone from a point where 
debt wasn't really a big part of life to where debt is just a, a fact of life. You know, you, you start your working life in debt already from a student loan um, and then you've got more debt from a mortgage. And the key thing that this book explained was how money is created by banks and how most of this money, um, whereas people think it goes into to businesses and into you know, helping the economy grow, most of this money actually goes into the property market and into the financial markets. And when I read this back in 2006, it really seemed obvious that this wasn't a sustainable system, you know, that this couldn't last indefinitely. In 2007, the financial crisis started with Northern Rock and some of the banks in, in the US having problems. 2008, the whole thing really picked up. I really thought at that time that this, this issue of you know, who creates money and how they decide how to use it would be in the... Um, uh, will be in the press in no time. You know, MPs will be talking about it because it was such an obvious thing and it was at the root of the financial crisis that it would surely be what everybody was talking about. Um, and by mid-2009, I got really frustrated with the fact that you know, all the papers were talking about how, how we borrowed too much, how there was too much debt, how we'd live beyond our means. And almost nobody was asking the question, well, where did all this money come from? Um, because the answer is it doesn't come from anywhere. It's just created by the banks when they make loans. So in 2009, I, I started blogging about this. And then about a year after, we had about 500 people uh, signed up to the blog. But I realized there's only so much you can do um, without a proper organization. So I, I founded Positive Money. And um, we've just kind of grown from there. How quickly has the organization grown over the last, what is it, four or five years? Yeah, well, it's been about four years um, since we launched Positive Money, and it's grown quicker than we could really have expected. So we, um, we've we now got about 25,000 people on Facebook, um, about 18,000 people signed up for the, the newsletter. We've got 30 groups around the country, um, and it's also spun off into about 17 groups internationally in other countries. And we've had some good successes as well. We, um, we started off realizing that the way universities were teaching about the way that money was created and the way the banking system works was at the very least about 30 years out of date. And that was part of the problem why we, um, why we ended up with the financial crisis was because the economists and the so-called experts didn't understand uh, the basics of banking and, and the basics of money creation. So we worked with the New Economics Foundation to produce a book called Where Does Money Come From? And that uh, for a while was the only sort of the most accurate source on on how money is created. Um, we had to write that because the Bank of England hadn't released anything explaining how money was actually created, believe it or not. We had to go through hundreds of documents to piece together this information. Now, uh, a couple of months ago, the Bank of England actually released a paper called Money Creation in the Modern Economy, where they basically confirmed everything we'd said in the book. So, so you know, it's, it's starting to have a, an influence on uh, what the authorities are actually explaining about the way the system works. Um, and then a lot of the the kind of dangers that we've been warning about, about the build-up in, in personal debt, the fact that it was debt that caused the crisis, but that's also the government's um, answer to uh, to getting the recovery again, is you know everybody go out and borrow more, take out more, you know, larger mortgages. So we've been arguing that that could lead us into another financial crisis. And now the former head of the UK's bank regulator, the Financial Services Authority. Adair Turner has been giving speeches where he's been talking about the same, the same issues, you know, that, that banks create money, that they don't use much of it for 
the, the real economy, but most of it's for this sort of speculative economy, and that this could actually lead us into another financial crisis. So it's really interesting that you mentioned house prices there, because much conversation in the media tends to talk about supply and demand issues, citing low levels of house building, for example, as a prime reason for rising prices. So you're therefore arguing that this kind of argument is somewhat misleading and that we should instead be focusing on issues surrounding money supply, uh, particularly in this instance the oversupply of mortgage credit by private banks as one of the major reasons for house price inflation. Well, if you don't understand money creation or the fact that every new mortgage creates new money, then your natural assumption is that house prices are going up because there's too many people and not enough houses. Now, there is problems in the UK particularly with we haven't been building enough houses to keep up with the population. But what has happened in in other countries, even where they have been building uh, lots of houses, so for example in Spain and, and Ireland, house prices shot up just as quickly as they did in the UK. It resulted in a lot of building. Um, and now, uh, because they've built more houses than they need in those countries, house prices have come crashing down again. In the UK, there is a shortage of housing, but there's also this huge amount of new money that's been created by the banking system and pumped into the housing market. So 30% of all the money that banks create goes straight into property, into um, sorry, into residential property. Another 20% goes into commercial property, like office buildings. So that, that's one of the, actually probably the greater driver of house prices going up is uh, the amount of money that banks can create to put into the property market. So you've also tapped into this idea that the way economics is taught in universities is somewhat of a problem. Could you just elaborate a little bit on, on what you see as the main problem in how, because you're a former economics student, as to how economics is taught in universities and what, what's really going wrong there? Well, there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different problems, and one of the best people to, to read about this is um, a guy called Steve Keen, um, a professor at the University of Kingston, um, his book, Debunking Economics. But basically, um, without generalising too much, economists have spent a long time ignoring the real world. So they make theories about how people behave and how the world works, but never actually test these theories with reality. So that's one of the reasons why, particularly in sort of in the area that I know best, the, the creation of money, economics courses have been teaching a model of banking that advisors to the Bank of England have been saying is completely inaccurate since the 1980s. You know, they, they've been saying since the 1980s that this is the wrong thing to teach. And yet it's still, if you look at the modern textbooks now, most of them are still teaching the same out-of-date model that... If it ever actually did apply, it hasn't applied for 100 years. And instead of going, you know, as we did, we went to the Bank of England to get all of the actual documents to say, how does this really work today? Economists generally, and the textbooks, haven't done that. They've been teaching, basically, that the, the amount of money in the economy is completely under control of the Bank of England or the Federal Reserve, and that they can just um, put a little bit of money into the system this gets multiplied up, but the whole thing's very controllable. Um, the reality is, when you look at how the system actually works, is that it's the banks that have control, and the Bank of England has to kind of react to them. So once you understand that, that actually banks have control over how much money there is in the economy, that raises a whole load of implications. But because it's not taught properly in universities, the professional economists never sort of question those implications. Um, and this is one of the things that we're trying to do is get people to understand that 
um, what is being taught is, is inaccurate. And until we get back to a better understanding of how things work, we're not going to find an answer to the problems that we're facing today. And to do that, you've produced a book called Modernising Money, which we've just seen a load come in today, a new stockpile as you sold out of your previous collection. So could you just tell us a little bit about what mod, uh, Modernising Money argues precisely? So in Modernising Money, we, we've basically taken some ideas that came out of the Great Depression of the 1930s, and then we've updated them to account for uh, the fact that we have a, an electronic uh, money system today, um, and that a lot of other things have changed since then. But the basic idea is that we should take the power to create money away from the banks and uh, return it to a transparent, democratic, accountable body that's working in the public interest. So the way you do this is there's a number of sort of changes you make behind the scenes to the way that banks work that stops them being able to create new money. From the perspective of a customer, there's no real big difference. You know, you'll still use your debit card, you still have an account for the money you want to spend and an account for the money you want to save. But what it does do is it means that when banks make loans, they would no longer create new money. They would actually be taking money from savers and then lending it to borrowers. The question then is, if you stop banks from creating most of the money that we use, who's going to create it? The problem with having banks create money is that the more they create, the more profit they get, because the more they can lend. If you then were to give that power to politicians, the problem is that the more that they create, the more of their manifesto pledges they can pay for. And you'll see that in the years running up to the election, you get more and more money created. Um, and that, that can be bad for the economy as well. And what you need is that the people making the decision over how much money to create don't also get to decide how to spend it. Because as soon as they do, they can benefit from creating this money. So you need some, uh, some kind of body where those, those people creating money are completely in the public eye. They can be held to account by parliament. And they also don't personally benefit from, from creating the money. So they, they decide how much to create, how much the economy needs as a whole. Um, but they don't decide where to spend it. So in the book, you, you talk about this idea of a money creation committee that is, is a really kind of centralised committee that has the power to create money. And it's, this is an interesting one because I can't help but feeling that this is a kind of technocratic solution that might pose a couple of practical problems on the ground, notably that its neutrality may, may come under constant threat from, as you mentioned, political elites or lobbying groups who wish to pursue a particular agenda. But also, secondly, politicians tend to win elections on the back of economic promises. Wouldn't, by creating this money creation committee, wouldn't you be running the risk of these organization, this organisation vetoing particular government economic pledges that they've made in a manifesto, which may then lead to politicians and the public at large considering this committee to be somewhat authoritarian, maybe? Well, no, not really. Um, so basically the government, this, uh, it, okay, so firstly the decision is not the government wants to pay for this, therefore let's create some money. That's absolutely not the way you should do it. The, the question for this, um, this body, however you structure it, and whoever's on that, that body, is the economy, given the, the situation of the economy today, how much additional money needs to be put in to keep things growing at a sort of steady pace. That money then gets transferred to the government and it's just added to the tax revenue that they get and whatever they choose to borrow. 
And it's not going to be a huge amount of money. It might be an extra sort of 5 to 10%, depending on how the economy is doing at the time. But yeah, I mean, the, the government, if, uh, if no money is created because the economy is doing really well, the government still has the option to borrow. Uh, it doesn't give the, uh, the, creation, the money creation body any control over what the government does. Um, that's why it's so important to separate these two decisions. But then you also need to look at, you know, it, it's difficult to get any kind of uh, structure that's perfect. But you've got to look at what we have today. We have, we have a monetary policy committee that is supposed to stop the banks from creating too much money. But because of the way the system has evolved, they actually don't have the tools to control what the banks can do. So you saw that they couldn't stop it getting out of control before the crisis. Um, and then after the crisis, when the banks had panicked and they stopped lending, so they stopped creating new money, uh, there was nothing the Bank of England could do to get them lending again. So we have a system at the moment where it's the banks that control how much money there is and how much money is created. Um, we have no way of controlling them in the public interest. Within those banks, some people have this idea that that these banks are made up of like networks of local uh, branch managers who understand local business and who are investing in local economy. That's a complete fairy tale. What we have is these um, banks where the, the decision whether to grant a loan or not is computerized. It's a very, you know, it's a tick box exercise. Um, computer says yes or no. And the ultimate sort of power in this whole arrangement rests with the guys at the top of the bank because it's those guys who say um, either we're not going to lend at the moment because we want to see what the economy is doing or we're going to aggressively lend to try and become the biggest bank in the UK. And if the guys at the top decide that they're going to lend aggressively, then they pump a load more newly created money into the economy but also a load more debt. And that's what leads to the financial crisis. So at the moment you have something as, as important as the power to create money in the hands of people who have no interest in uh, the effect it has on society or the economy. Um, and that's the worst possible arrangement you can have. So where now for positive money? Where do you look to go in the next few years with your campaign? Uh, what, what's forthcoming? Well, one of the big things we're doing um, in the run-up to the general election in 2015, uh, we want to make sure that we don't have another election where politicians are making these arguments about what we can spend money on and what we can't um, without understanding that you know, money has been created by the banking sector, like by the banking system, every single day. So, for example, one of the things uh, that really annoys me is at the time in 2010 when the coalition cancelled, they cut £700 million from the budget to rebuild schools. That kind of money sounds like a lot of money, but at the same time, the banks have been creating many times more than that to put into property bubble. So we have this weird situation where we're not allowed to, to create money to, to pay for rebuilding schools or for flood defences, but we can allow banks to create money to build luxury flats in the, you know, the centre of London. And this is kind of a, a crazy situation for us to be in. So we want to try and stimulate this debate about who should be allowed to create money and how should that money be used? Should it be used in the public interest or should it be used to push up house prices and speculate on the financial markets? So in the run-up to the, uh, the election, we're asking people to, to email their MPs with um, some specific questions to make sure that they understand, firstly, that banks create 97% of the money that we use, that they create it when they make loans, which means that if we want to get more money into the economy, we have to go further into debt to the banks even though 
that could lead us into another financial crisis. Um, that most of the money they create doesn't go to businesses, it goes to the property markets and to financial markets. And that actually we could, we could change the system if we wanted, we could make it work in the public interest. Um, so we're, we're really trying to make sure that MPs understand these actually quite basic things about money and about the economy that at the moment most of them don't understand. If you'd like to find out more about Positive Money, then please visit their website, positivemoney.org. Alternatively, you can follow them on Facebook or on Twitter, their Twitter handle being at PositiveMoneyUK. I'm Christopher Daly. Thank you for listening.